This podcast is sponsored by Logos Bible Software. If you've been longing for the tools to take your Bible study deeper, you need to try out Logos. I've been personally using Logos for over a decade now for both my devotional and pastoral study. Right now, Logos has partnered with the Kingdom Dreamers to bring you exclusive savings. Check out at logos.com forward slash Kingdom Dreamer or click the link in the show notes for our exclusive offer. Because I have a dream. Staggered by the winds of police brutality, uh, you have been the veterans of creative suffering. The ballot or the bullet is to either ignore them or, or to deny them without giving And we stand together to win the war. One small step for man. Yes, we can. Can we all get along? Welcome to the Wild Wild World Show, the podcast of conscious Christian conversation about the chaos in the cosmos, mm. Kingdom Dreamer podcast, where we fight to reunite righteousness and justice. And we're back with another episode in season three after a, a week-long halftime break that mm-hmm. was forced upon us by our podcast host. But we, we worked it out. We worked <laughs> out the deals, you know what I'm saying? But uh, follow us on Twitter, Kingdom X Dreams. Follow me, William R. Horn, H-R-N-E. Follow Kellen, old boy. Underscore K underscore R. Kellen, how you doing, man? You all right? I'm living what we call the good life, Will. You know, mm-hmm. life is good. Life is grand. Life is crazy out here. But I'm doing okay. I, you know, things have been moving and shaking in my life. But I don't want to go off and, you know, a tangent about everything I got going on just yet. Because I do want to ask you, how are you doing, Will? Man. I'm surviving, man. I'm coming to the end of, I guess, what they say is the end of quarantine, but not really. Unsure how that transition works, but you know, nah. I'm out here surviving. Still been working in the same place, you know. Mm-hmm. Learning fatherhood. My child's almost four months old, so you know, it's it's been adventure, man. It's been adventure. You you still s- slowly but surely carving out a a, a butt size hole in that that uh, office chair of yours. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna have to buy a whole new chair after this season because this this joint's gonna be so broken down. It's gonna be terrible. It's gonna be terrible. So that, that that that's one segment of uh, people and businesses that are gonna be doing well from this right. COVID thing is the chair manufacturers of the world. <laughs> new office chairs coming in soon, so they'll they'll start right. popping up along with the barbers once they open up because been rough i'm embracing the the full beard as a morning of quarantine barbers stylists nail titians and all of those folks they're gonna be booked for like three months solid that's nail titians they probably already are i know some cats are like cutting hair at 6 a.m so they can fit everybody in i mean they gotta get that money back i guess but they are definitely getting in so you know it is but hey also reminder patreon.com support the kingdom dreamers patreon.com forward slash kingdom dreamers we also have a giveaway this month, like we do every month. We're giving away from our sponsor, Fandago, a gift card, $25 gift card for the day that movies open back up, which I'm not sure when that is. But see, the good thing is these gift cards, they don't expire. So even if it's not till 2028, mm-hmm. you'll be ready for the movies when it happens. So make sure to enter that. There'll be a link in the show notes. Ends June 1st. So, Kellen, you said yeah. life. You said like, literally moving. I think that's very literal in your life, man. Literally moving, relocating. I'm actually moving states, Will. I'm moving to a whole different state, which is like five minutes across the border. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, we live on a state border here. So I'm um, not moving that far. But the big deal about it is that my wife and I purchased a home. Now, you might be sitting there saying, eh, you know, whatever, no big deal. That is what it is. Even my man Will over here has purchased a home before, right? Even him, right? If Will can do it, anybody can do it. Because Lord knows, Will, Will is nobody. No. <laughs> but I can change. Right. right. Um, but no, it, it is a big deal because, you know, the reality is that my wife and I didn't really come from a legacy of home ownership. Now, you might say, what is a legacy of home ownership? You might not even think about it, things like that. But home ownership was not something that, as I grew up, you know, I ever really thought that much about because it didn't seem like something that was for me, you know. Um, and I'm not, you know, going to sit here and sing a song about, you know, I, how I grew up in the projects and didn't have pots of piss in, none of that. No, I, I didn't grow up dirt poor. 
right? But I didn't grow up with money either necessarily. <laughs> um, and so, it, you know, the, the, this home purchasing thing for, for us, we really feel like it is a kind of a generation changer because as I mentioned, you know, it, it wasn't something that just seemed possible for us. It wasn't something that was a part of our life and our legacy. Neither my wife and I grew up uh, in homes that were owned by our families. Um, nobody talked to us about these things, about, you know, home ownership, buying a home and, 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 and investing and, um, you know, those sorts of things, right? And so even as I got into adulthood, even as I had, you know, fairly good corporate jobs and I was making good money, you know, we were always renting and it honestly just seemed like we always would. I, I thought for a long time that, you know, you didn't buy a house unless you were wealthy, you know? You didn't buy a house unless you had all of your ducks in a row, you know, everything was straight. You had $60,000 in the bank. <laughs> You know what I mean? Excellent credit. That those are the people that bought houses, right? Um, and so I, it just seemed like it was something that was out of reach for us for the longest time. And it wasn't until the last few years where you know we really started thinking, like, yeah, like this is actually something that we can do. Um, we started kind of educating ourselves a little bit more because again, we hadn't been taught about it. Um, and so as we learned more, as we educated ourselves more, you know, we knew kind of the basic benefits of home ownership versus renting. But you know, I. I wanted to talk about it a little bit because again, for if you grew up like me, and again, I'm not saying, you know, they, you know, I grew up in a school of hard knocks, but if, you know, you grew up in a, in a working class family or, or a poor family, um, you know, single parent home, those sorts of things, you might also be thinking or have thought that that wasn't something that was for you or for your future, or for your family, especially if you're a minority, right? Because just in general, numbers-wise, we are less likely to to be in that situation or to be uh, in a situation to buy a home. And so I just want to encourage folks, and it, I really don't want it to be one of those, hey, you know, like I I uh, I saved $100,000 in two years, so you can too. <laughs> like, like not one of those nonsense things, but just encourage you in terms of if this is something, right, those are the words. But if, if home ownership is something that you've ever – maybe wanted to do, but just didn't think that you could, or didn't think it was possible, didn't think it was something that was for you because of how you were, how you grew up, because it wasn't a part of your family's legacy, you know, I'd encourage you, uh, look a little deeper into it, you know, like, it's the same, like, when we talk about college, like, first generation college students, you see a lot of folks that say, man, you know, growing up, like, we didn't even talk about college, like, it wasn't even something that, I was expected to do. It was just kind of known and understood that in my neighborhood or my family or whatever the case may be, that wasn't something we did. It wasn't for us, you know, until, you know, you talk to some counselor or until you got a dream or whatever it is. A lot of times and people that, that, that switch flips and then they say, no, this is something I can do and I'm going to go pursue it. Right. And so it was kind of the same thing. And it was a big deal for us. It is a big deal um, because we want our kids to grow up knowing that no you can own things <laughs> you know right. you don't always have to be renting you don't always have to be borrowing you can own things ownership uh you know at least in this country is a big deal and it is available to you as well um and so and honestly one of my goals is i want to be able to pass property down to to my kids you know uh whether for them to live in or to to do something with but so that they have some things that they have ownership in, you know? And so, yeah, so, so that's all, man. So it is a big deal. So we've been excited about it. Um, it's been emotional <laughs> in a lot of ways for, yeah. for my wife and I. Um, and I can tell you, man, going in, walking into that house the first day after we had the keys and for the first time in my life, me like, this is mine. This is ours. Hmm. You know, it's a whole different ball game. Right. You know, it's a whole different ballgame. And I'm not going to bore y'all with the details. But I mean, just when you look around and it's like, okay, well, maybe this needs a little bit of work or this needs a little bit of play. Yeah. It's like, yeah, ain't nobody for me to call to do that. Ain't no landlord that I can say, hey, man, come come fix this. You know, it's all on me. And not that the house is is beat up or anything like that. I'm just saying, <laughs> the point is just when you see these little things or whatever, it's like, oh, no, this is on me because it's mine. And I want to fix it. You know, I want to right. make things right. I like we. I, I want to paint you know, get the colors we want because it's ours. And it's, it's just a whole different thing, you know, and, and I can see now why, you know, renting versus buying is such a big deal, even in terms of mentality. Um, and you see people that were, you know, you grow up in neighborhoods where everybody's renting or whether it's apartments or whatever. And it's just, there's not that same sense of 
ownership and you go in the neighborhoods where people own their house and stuff and they have these homeowners associations which on some levels probably can be annoying but there's a sense of ownership that this is our neighborhood i own land in this neighborhood versus yeah. i'm just renting and i'm here until i'm not you know so rent over um <laughs> but you know i did just want to share that with our audience because uh you know i hope somebody can be encouraged a little bit by by my story which you know we didn't share a ton of um, that's, you real. that's real because i mean that's a big thing uh, especially like, like you said in this country right is to have control over your living situation is unlocks tons of things right, right. Um, to have that type of control and it's also the reason why we see you know it's part of the reason we see wealth gaps too right because mm-hmm. of the ways that typically minorities have been locked out of owning homes and properties, which then accumulate as wealth and some type of protection for family and generations. Right. So that's a big deal to purchase a house, right. To, to break through that. So. Yeah. You're not, not at the whim of somebody else. You know, I've I've been in a situation where I've been renting a house that we liked in a neighborhood that we liked. We plan to stay a while and even let them mind. And then the owner decides, Hey, you know, I'm gonna sell my house. Which is their prerogative, but that means now because of somebody else's whim, now that means I have to prepare to move my family before I wanted to. So I mean, I've been in those situations and just it's yeah. different. There's a different level of peace and being settled when you're home. Yeah. And I, obviously, there's also a different level of stress because other things come with it. But you know, that's, that's true that's for another day. That's <laughs> and that's also, I mean, that's how like we see all the gentrification and different things happening where investors come in and push out people if people have ownership in those communities, they now have more control and say over what's right. going to happen in these communities. Or they even profit from the, <laughs> you know, well, that's they profit from, you know, you could be that as well, but yeah, just the change of control. Uh, that's massive. So yeah, it's a big deal, man. It's a big deal. Most definitely. So, uh, so thanks for listening guys. All right. Talk to you next week. Bye. No, oh, let's get into this. Okay. We got more show. We got more show. It's crazy out here. Yes, Drops. it is. Man, crazy out here, man. So, we got a bunch of, well, not a bunch of things. I guess kind of a bunch of things, but I want to give you a tad bit of news real quick. And it's then a we bunch got some crazy out here. A bunch, a bunch of, of crazy stuff to crazy. Yeah. Exactly. First thing, which is, I guess is cra- it's crazy to me. So, if you listen to podcasts, you probably know who Joe Rogan is because he's always at the top of the podcast chart or whatever his episodes are always up there but this dude just signed a hundred million dollar deal to be exclusively on spotify which i think is the first at least the first that i know of podcaster to sign a deal like he out here uh signing the nba contract or something <laughs> like that right but, balling. is that a lifetime deal do we know how long that deal? they didn't release the details they just said it was over a hundred million dollars to exclusive with them but Ooh. either way though like podcasting game ain't making money like that you know what i mean the, the top dogs because uh, you know uh we mentioned in the pre-show uh bill simmons website the uh the ringer if you pay pay attention to sports you might be familiar with it uh they just uh sold to spotify for 250 million and they do a lot of podcasting too uh right. so that's his podcast is one of those that are it's constantly near the top of the charts too especially in the sports entertainment world so spotify is out here trying to lock the game down i guess i don't know what spotify is doing but that's what i'm saying so it's like i don't know whether to be amazed that like wow joe rogan did so great he got 100 million or that spotify just out here throwing money around to podcasters trying to lock out all the other podcast game so i don't know man you know and hey spotify is doing a thing i mean stitcher is too stitcher premium is definitely doing that thing you know Uh of course we can't lead them out but uh (laughs) but um you know, honestly, I just find it interesting. I guess if you can make your podcast or if you can buy it, you know, I'm guessing they're going to try to make it exclusive. That would be the only thing that would make sense to me, right? Yeah, that's um, what it is, exclusive yeah. in Spotify, yeah. But but I'm curious because, like, the when they, they bought the Ringer and they haven't made those podcasts exclusive to Spotify yet, I don't think. Um, so we'll see. Um, but I guess that is one way to kind of get ahead of the game. Hey, we're going to take the most popular podcast and we're going to be exclusive on our platform which is free to download. So it's not like it's going to really stop anybody or, you know, it's not going to block anybody out. Um, it's got people jumping platforms, what you're going to do. So. Right. And you, that means you get the 
whatever revenue I guess you get from people downloading. <laughs> I don't know how all that how all of that works all the time, but hey, do your thing, Spotify. I guess I don't know. But hey, the one lesson to be learned from it is this: he's released almost like fifteen hundred episodes. He's almost there mm-hmm. over like a period of ten years. So whatever your grind is, are you fifteen hundred episodes in? Because that's when the hundred million dollar deal comes in. Oh yeah, that's ten thousand hours right there. Yeah, that's so. That's ten years of podcasting. It's not like he just popped off in a couple of weeks. Was I right. deal, so? So you saying we got to keep grinding, well? Yeah, I'm trying to coach myself into into the continued grind. But yep. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so what else we got going on in the world? Um, well, the biggest news of the last couple months, obviously, has been COVID and quarantine and all of that. And uh, noted that as of this week. COVID-19 deaths have hit 95,000 in the U.S., we think, um, because there's a lot of back and forth of controversy about how the numbers are being reported by the states and by the federal government. But we think it's hit 95,000, which is a large number. Um, yeah, it's, that's, it's that's a big taken out. Yeah, there's not much to say about it, man. It's like that's worth mourning that you had basically a – a good sized city taken out by a disease, you know what I mean? Yeah, and you know, and it's getting to the point where it's starting to hit people I know personally. Um, I got I got a good friend whose family, basically his whole family came down with it. Luckily they're all recovering, but you know, the people I care about deeply. Um I know people, you know, out here near me that have been major parts of my wife and I's life that have came down with it and been hospitalized. So, I mean, it's now getting to the point where probably everybody can say, yeah, I know somebody that got it, you know, or I know somebody that's had it. Um, So it's no longer just kind of this mythological (laughs) thing that, okay, it's it's bad, but it hasn't really affected me. I'm guessing it's starting to affect everybody at this point. Yeah. Not in effect, affect. Yeah. Yeah, that 95,000 just the death, not who's caught it. Right. You know, it was just way over any other country, which is, that's a whole nother thing. But, I mean, with that, right, has come all these other crazy out here things, right? Unemployment mm-hmm. rate still skyrocketing, even as there's talks and processes of reopening. Um, I forget the, well, I have, in, here in Kentucky, right, it's almost one in every three workers is unemployed in the yeah, state of that's... Kentucky. Like that's, that's wild number. Now, does that include furlough employees as well? Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't look that up because that could be. Part My of guess it. would be because it's probably people collect employment. But you think about how many people are in industries that are quote unquote non-essential, and even service industries. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's wild when you think about it. And you know, one thing that hit me was how much of our life and society uh, evolves around people being out and about, which for the majority of you know, obviously for most of our lives in human history, you didn't really even really think about because it was taken for granted. It was, you know, people left the house, people went places, people did things. Even when the economy was bad, there's still restaurants and movie theaters and people that have the money still do go out and do things that are either entertaining or just maybe non-essential. And you're seeing now how many, how much of our economy and how many of us are affected by this when, Hey, you know, the department store doesn't need 80 workers. They only need 30, you know, to, to, to actually, um, function. So it's, yeah. I mean, and it's getting big, like I know university of Kentucky here has furloughed a bunch of people. So that's, you know, decent jobs, people making, you know, middle-class income. Uh, but then it also said 40% of workers is for the whole United States in households learning $40,000 or less a year have lost their jobs. So you're talking about like, nearly half of workers that are just above the poverty line, essentially. Yeah. Losing, so it's like the poor become poor, more vulnerable. Yeah. Somehow it always can come back to that, doesn't it? No matter what, yeah. what it is, the economy is bad, the, the poor are the ones that get stuck first, no matter what. Yeah. Um, That's a reoccurring theme. The vulnerable will always become more vulnerable in events like this. You know? Yeah. But then, yeah, the total jobless count for the whole United States over the past, or claims, I guess, unemployment claims over the past nine weeks is 38 million. Yeah. That's a lot, man. Those numbers are hard to comprehend, man, because that's a a lot of people. It is. 
It is. And again, it goes back to goes to show like I got a good friend who's a barber. You know, I got friends that, uh, you know, just work in different industries that, yeah, I've just been hit ridiculously hard. There's so many people that can't work, that literally can't do their job. The food industry, you know, the that's a huge industry. The food industry has been, you know, not brought to his knees, <laughs> you know, by this. Um Malls have shut down and closed. So anybody that works in a mall isn't working, you know. And it's it's the more you think about it, the more the more kind of astronomical it becomes. And so I get why a lot of people have been advocating to reopen things, you know, uh, to you know start start up the economy. It's it's a hard thing, you know. We we wanted to put people first in terms of people's safety and health and uh, you know and all of that. At the same time the economy does matter and if people can't work eventually there's going to be effects to that, you know, and we have unemployment so that people can continue to survive and live and, and whatnot, but that unemployment is coming from somewhere, you know, and yeah, it, it's, it's tough. And I understand why these aren't easy decisions to make about what we do, but you know, uh, we know at some point we're going to be back out here in the world pretty soon. Yeah, which let's chop it up a little bit more on that. All these, so I guess if I understand correctly, all 50 states are in some sort of process of reopening at the time of this recording, you know, towards the end of March, mid March, or mid May, not March. Mm-hmm. I'm back in March because we've been locked in the house that long, but, right. but same May, difference. yeah, same difference. But all states are at least in some phase of opening up, all the way from California still having a three month stay at home and some sort of open up, I guess, to. Mm. Uh, you know, Georgia and Tennessee haven't cared a lick since the beginning. So it's like <laughs> you got a whole spectrum, uh, which also comes with a lot of questions on, I don't know, how this works, what actually will be changed, how we go about it. Because, like you said, these numbers aren't decreasing, or at least not right. decreasing at a very fast rate in terms of COVID. Um, yeah. I don't know. What are your initial thoughts on all the reopening? I mean, I think, honestly, we're just at the point where – most people, I think a lot of people kind of feel like, all right, like, I know it's risky, but let's just get back to living life, you know? Um, and yeah, I, I don't know exactly how it's going to look or how it's going to work. Uh, you know, my wife and I were talking the other day or yesterday just about, you know, people that are working from home, you know, people in our situation. I mean, we have two, we have four-year-old twins. We got an elementary school kid, a high school kid in the house. We both have jobs where we're blessed to be able to work from home and work. But I mean, it is tough. You know, you know, a lot of people have been kind of talking and on some level complaining about e-learning in schools. It's one thing if you have, you know, a couple middle schoolers or high schoolers that can kind of handle these things and um, can kind of work on their own. But if you have like a even a high schooler or middle schooler that has special needs in some way, whether educationally, like that's tough for a parent to deal with as you're working. If you have young kids, I mean, it is hard doing this stuff with four-year-olds at home all day, every day. And so people, I think, are just saying, hey, look, this can't continue, especially because uh, companies and businesses are still trying to make money. You know, on some level, there was understanding at the beginning, but how long can they go on understanding, okay, well, our work, um, you know, our work output is going to be X percentage less because so many of our employees are just work from home with their kids and their families and they can't do as much. It's, it's getting, it's getting tough. And even beyond that, Will, I mean, just the element of how do we be out and about now? You know, do we still go to restaurants? Do, when we, it's harder for, harder for people to be at a restaurant with a mask on, <laughs> you know, like, like how, how is all this going to work and what are the effects going to be? Um, and I guess at this point it's an individual choice, huh? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of like, are we going to, we should we even shake hands anymore? Like how do you greet somebody? Just basic stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You got to start questioning. I know here in Kentucky, they're just started opening up restaurants, but like, the capacity is super low. They're opening up parking lots so they can sit people in distances. So I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work, man. It's uh, it's going to be interesting. So, something's just going to be going. Like like you said, you know, hey, if we want to go to the movies, are they going to block off every other seat, you know, or just have like couple sections and what, you know, like how is that going to work? Uh, I mean, they're going to have talk- to do something. Yeah, you know, just to – 
kind of make people feel safe. I was talking to somebody the other day. I said, I think buffets might be gone. <laughs> like, can a restaurant open up now and say, yeah, we have a buffet? Like, we've always known that that was a little shake. Buffets were a little shaky in terms of um, hygiene. You know, so places like whole restaurants like Old Country Buffet and, you know, uh, I almost said Cracker Barrel, not Cracker Barrel. Um, uh, whatever the one is out here that I'm forgetting. Uh, are those just going to go away? You know? Um, and then, you know, so, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying that's true, man. I, I don't know. Like, there's going to be stuff gone, gone. Yeah. And then we were just having a conversation the other day about the work from home element. And on the flip side, you know, yeah, it's tough for a lot of people. But some people are saying, hey, look this work from home thing kind of works for me. You know, if you don't have to worry about kids or even if your kids can go back to school to daycare and you can work from home, you know, how many people would prefer to work from home versus, you know, making a 35, 40 minute commute every day. And how many people live, you know, in, you know, in a big city or in downtown area or a busy area because it's close to their job. You know, if you work downtown, you can hop on the bus. and go. So if proximity to your job isn't, something is it something you really have to consider moving forward what's that gonna do you know we talk about gentrification <laughs> you know but what what's it gonna look like if more and more companies are allowing you know a good percentage of their workers to work from home you know well you could live in kentucky and you know get a job here in chicago you know or yeah. or vice versa you know we could say hey you know what we're sick of this midwest life we're gonna move down to virginia <laughs> You know, and, and keep our jobs. We don't have to worry about getting new jobs because we can work from anywhere in the country. And we, I know mm -hmm. that that's obviously a thing on some level now, right? But now that everybody, well, not everybody, but so many companies have now had this experience with having people work from home for three months. How many of them are going to say, hey, you know, this is going to save us money on, you know, office space and lighting and electricity and even the amenities that you have to give employees or not have to, but that a lot of companies like to give right. employees while they're in the office. Um, hmm. I mean, that's going to do a massive, when you think about that, right, that's a massive shift in the way the economy works because you got areas. One of the reasons why it's almost one in three workers in Kentucky unemployed is because the majority of Kentucky outside of Lexington, where there's a university is you know, working class, right? There's not this able to work from home from a computer idea, right? Though mm -hmm. there's more work like that now, right? Generally, it's not. So if it comes to the point where you can literally live anywhere in the country and work at these companies, like how does that completely shift how economies work? If everybody moves out of Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. they don't want to pay for the high housing and still work there, does Silicon Valley's economy stay or not? How does that work? Right. How does that affect the housing market? Yeah. You know, as, as you mentioned, you know, the, this article is already saying that a lot of Silicon Valley workers are thinking, hey, look, why pay $3,200 a month for rent in San Francisco if I can work from home and move to, you know, the Redwood Forest or somewhere I can move to Oklahoma or back home to Wyoming or wherever yeah. and, and live for much cheaper in a place I'd rather be and still do my job. Um, yeah. There's all sorts of implications from, uh, you know, transportation and fuel costs and things of that nature um, to just how these cities operate, as you said, um, if people don't have to be there, <laughs> you know, um, and, and even the companies, how, how, how does it change the overall landscape of a lot of these companies and organizations if their employees don't need to be in the office, you know, um, like if you've ever been a part of a team, it would be weird if you say, hey, you know, our basketball team, this may be a bad example, but, you know, or even let's say track. Track is kind of an individual sport for the most part, besides the relays. You say, hey, yeah, look, everybody work out on their own. And those of you that are in a relay, just come in twice a week and we'll figure it out. But besides that, we don't all have to be together. It would be, be very weird, you know, even to be a part of something like a track team or a swim team if um, you didn't see your teammates or you didn't pers personally, physically interact with your teammates. And so I'm just curious as to how that would affect things. Honestly, my, my initial thought is people will probably move around even more in terms of jobs. There'll probably be even less loyalty because you wouldn't have the same level of personal relationships built in that maybe keep people around in there. Um, That's true. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm sure somebody's, you know, writing a thesis paper about it right now. 
<laughs> that's true. Though. Yeah, that's true. I mean, because even with that, right, you might not have as big a title job, not just because of the lack of relationships, but a lot of times people stay in jobs because they're tied to the area and have to be tied to the area. Right. So like I said, if you purchase a home, you can't dip in two years, right? Or unless the market changes dramatically and you make a bunch of money, but usually it's not smart to just leave, right? Right. So it's like you're tied to probably that area and that job. But if jobs change in the sense of you can be anywhere and you could just leave and find another job that's remote, you know? Yeah, I've got to change the housing market. How many people would just say, yeah, you know, I think I'd rather live in, in Dallas, <laughs> you know, or in Arizona. You know, matter of fact, you know, I grew up in Minneapolis. Um, you know, you have that whole culture of uh, what they call uh, snow. Um, I don't remember the term now. But people that move, you know, as soon as they, they can, they move down south. Um, oh, yeah. You know, or as soon as they retire, they move down south. They that's get why so many old people in Florida. Yeah, right. It's in Arizona. I mean, that's that's yeah. real. People move down there once they retire, and then there's a class of people that if they have enough money, they they leave the Midwest in the winter and they go down south for, for the uh, you know yeah. until the summer comes. So I just say that because hey, if people could, if if all of a sudden you know both your wife and, and your job say hey, you know, you guys can work virtually. If I'm looking for buy to buy a house, maybe I decide I'm not looking in the Midwest. Maybe I say, "Hey, man, where you want to go? Right. <laughs> you know, let's move. Let's move to New Orleans or something. <laughs> you know, you can you can do whatever you want. Um, and you, like you say, you're not tied to that area for any financial reason. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think it would really just change the way society works. I mean, not to be too yeah. hyperbolic, but it well, really it would. would. Yeah, it would, especially it- white collar society. Right. And that's the thing is it's like, I don't know how that'll all interact because it'll, it can literally change like how cities economies work completely. I mean, I right. guess we'll have to just wait and see a few years and see how the, if something like that happens, because there's a lot of pros and there's a lot of cons from something like that happening. Um, what you so. do, you do get more, you do get more, more freedom and power to the worker, but then there's it's also the I am all for that too, but it's almost like with the NBA, you know, it's like, okay, that's a good thing. However, <laughs> you know, we can say, oh, great. They're letting us work from home. We're going to move to, you know, the the middle of nowhere, South Carolina, because we, you know, that's where we want to live. And then 10 years from now, you can see a shift back to companies saying, eh, yeah, you know, we'd rather people live here, <laughs> you know, and now you're in a situation where you don't live near any of the work that you actually want to do. And so now you're having to, you know, potentially relocate again uh, to catch yeah. back up with times. I don't know. Um, I mean, that could, but it also could boost economies of places that have more desirable living situations, even if the jobs don't exist, right? Mm-hmm. Because if I'm out here making 130 geez, at some tech job in a big city, but I'm living in rural whatever, like I could ball out there, right? And that money hopefully would be going right into that economy there. So it's like, you can see pros and cons of that, but how would that hurt the city? I don't know. I bet that a lot of these big companies are still going to require people to live hey, near. You know, you know what's going to happen, Will? Tell me. You know what places are really going to boom the most? Huh. The great, beautiful cities of Cleveland, Akron, and Cincinnati. That, that's what it's going to be. Ohio is going to see a population Ohio coming increase. to the top. Who wouldn't want to live in Cleveland, Akron, or Cincinnati Man. if they could? This could be the key to the Rust Belt, though. This could be the key <laughs> to Rust Belt coming back up because, well, I don't know. You'd have to get people to like come back to Rust Belt. But if you have roots there, you know what I mean? You could work and still be in the economy. I don't know if any place called the Rust Belt is really going to see a boom and uh, people, There's a people reason. moving there willingly. All right, all right, all right. fine, fine. <laughs> it's true, though. The weather is terrible in the Rust Belt as well. But I don't know. It's an interesting conversation. Everybody gonna, everybody, conversation. Everybody's going to move down south or out west. That, that's, that's what it would be, you know, below the Mason-Dixon line or west of the Rockies. <laughs> you know, that's – Well, that's but people aren't, aren't going to live in Cali if the, unless the market changes, right? Well, people can live in Cali. They just don't have to live in the places in Cali that they've been living. You That's know, of true. Course, but California still as a whole state is expensive. Obviously, it's more expensive if you're in the Valley or LA, you know, things like that. But It is. Uh, what, I, what I've heard, and I could be wrong, is the further east you go in California, the cheaper it gets. However, a lot of that place is just kind of desert and crap anyway. So, yeah, you know, when we talk, talk about California, we're talking about the west half of the state for the most part. 
<laughs> so right. that's um, true. It's almost it maybe it might be the Arizonas and New Mexicos of the world that uh that's that really benefit. Yeah. yeah, that are like the and then the you know Georgia, Florida, Carolinas. Yeah, we move in North Carolina, so that that is what it is. So, um, <laughs> but anyway, before we move on, um, did just want to remind all of you, wonderful, beautiful, wild, wild world listeners, participants, okay. constituents, to remind you guys about Stitcher Premium. Um, Stitcher Premium is a, a premium subscription to Stitcher. That includes bonus episodes and exclusive shows from hip podcast hosts, gives you early access to popular podcasts and ad-free shows. Um, if you, as a Wild Wild World listener, enter the, uh, the code Wild World, just one wild, not two, one wild, Wild World, you get Stitcher Premium free for 30 days. So there's all sorts of great stuff on Stitcher Premium. If you like comedy, um, you can listen to Comedy Bang Bang, WTF with Mark Maron, or How Did This Get Made, uh, other podcasts like Criminology and My Favorite Murder, or even Marvel's Wolverine are on there. And you can even listen to things like uh, that have to do with pop culture, like LeVar Burton Reed. So typically, uh, Stitcher Premium is going to be $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year. But again, if you use our code, our code Wild World you get Stitcher Premium free for 30 days. So please go ahead and check that out. Tell them Kellen and Will sent you and uh, enjoy all that beautiful, wonderful content for absolutely free 99 here for a couple of days. Free 99. But with that, let's, uh, let's get a little entertained. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? So the last dance. Hold on, Will. Hold on. This is Are You Entertained, presented by Fandango. Oh, Fandango, what's up? What up, Fandango? Uh, Fandango, sponsor of the show. And sponsor of our um, our giveaway that we mentioned early on in the show. Again, uh, that Fandango gift card. Uh, check that out. Yeah, link in the show notes, $25. But Fandango, you can also check out our link in the show notes if you want to get any gift card for movies or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you click that link. There's a, I think there's a coupon right now. Hopefully it'll still be here when this is on for like 15% off your um, gift card. So you can get it for less than Seymour movies, Fandango. Are you entertained? And with that, let's talk about the last, last dance. The last, last dance. Last, last dance. Gotcha. We've been talking about this show. Episode nine and 10 this last Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. I don't know. I have a lot of feelings. What are your initial feelings, Kevin, on such documents that we haven't talked about yet? That we haven't talked about because I've already told y'all that I feel like Michael Jordan the most overrated player of all time. Um, yes. Or he's that he's overrated, not the most overrated player of all time, but that he's overrated. I've already told y'all that. I've already told y'all why. If you don't remember, if you don't remember what I said, you can go back and check out those old episodes, download, subscribe, take your friends. Um, Ultimately, look, the last dance was fun. I, I had a lot of lot of fun watching it, watching it with uh, my son, my kids. Um, it was fun. It's '90s basketball nostalgia. It's Bulls nostalgia. The reality is, back then we all loved watching Mike. We all loved watching the Bulls, unless you were a fan of a team that he was beating. <laughs> but even then, a lot of people, everybody just kind of seemed to have respect. It was fun. It was before we hit the social media age. And so many miserable people began chiming in on basketball, <laughs> hating on so many people. It was just fun at the time. The only person we hated on was Carl Malone because he's a bum and a terrible person. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it, man. And there was one thing, you know, that at the end of it, you know, I, I started realizing was that, you know, this whole thing was kind of Jordan propaganda. You know, <laughs> you know it was, it's, it's on some <laughs> level Jordan Puff feast. Uh, you know, they would set up the bowling pins for him and say, hey, Mike, what do you think about this uh, controversial thing people have been saying about you? He would give his 30-second sound bite, and they'd say, okay, that's the gospel truth, and then move on, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and so it wasn't the the unvarnished look into who Michael Jordan was, the, um, you know, a deep dive into what really made him tick or, you know, whether or not uh, the way he kind of went about his business was – right or wrong or indifferent it was you know again it's kind of michael jordan puffies which again is fine and in this time with no sports you know that's fine and you know 
I heard the point made that, hey, this is the only way that you're going to get, you know, guys with the stature of Michael Jordan to come on and actually talk, actually, you know, give his opinion. Yeah. Then, hey, you know, that's cool. Like, and, and it is cool. I'm glad we, I'm glad it was here. I'm glad we got it. But, um, you know, it wasn't what it was built to be. Some people, I've seen people say, oh, well, with this documentary, we see now why Mike is the greatest. Or it, it even settles in my mind more that Mike is better than so-and-so, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you watched 10 hours of Mike telling you essentially why he was awesome. <laughs> he, took, so, he took everything personally. Yeah. So I took, at least, I took that personally. Yeah, yeah. My thing is just at least be aware of what you're getting into as you're getting into it. So, anyway, what what are your initial thoughts, Will? Because I know you got a lot. There's some things you want to get to. Maybe it's just my lean, but I thought the opposite after watching. It's like, this just shows me how much less of a GOAT Michael Jordan is to me. That that LeBron is still the GOAT. That's all I'm going to say. And I know I'm going to get some fire for that. I've been giving some heat for it, and it's fun, you know. But it's... I don't know. It's it's kind of ridiculous, and I could we could get into all the sports stuff of it. But the worst thing, I was cool with it. I love the documentary. It was a fun time. It was cool to actually be like, I gotta go watch the TV at this time because we don't do that anymore. Right. So it's kind of be like, <laughs> yeah, I gotta be I gotta be home at nine. It was you know that right. that type of thing. You know, even though I guess we we're just home, so it didn't work that way. But uh, so it was cool. But then ESPN decided they was gonna release this poll. I don't know who they released this poll to because it was ridiculous. So it was the LeBron versus Michael poll, right? Mm -hmm. And they had Jordan winning every single category by a landslide, even Mm -hmm. on like the most arbitrary things like awesomeness. That was one of the categories, (laughs) awesomeness. What the heck does that even mean, man? That's that's wild to me. But I didn't didn't get this poll. Did you get this poll, Kellen? Did you get a vote in this? I don't know. See, I think they made this up. That's what I'm saying. Because nobody in their doggone mind would say that Michael Jordan is a better passer, right? They said he was a better passer, said mm-hmm. he was a better rebounder. If we just look at the stats, you know, it says that, right? LeBron's yeah. got 10, averages 10 assists a game. Michael averaged like four assists a game, four and a half assists a game type stuff. I think Mike was he was more around that six or seven. I don't know what it was, but yeah, I mean, I'm you, you see, basically the stuff is nonsense, and you can tell that a lot of people deal with emotion, and that was always my thing when it comes to arguments like the goat. My my thing has always been with Mike. Um, people are arguing with their hearts and not their heads, and here's the thing: it's sports. That that's it's not like that's wrong, right? It's not like that's a bad thing. It's sports, it's entertainment. You are in a, you're watching these things to feel something to be entertained. So okay, it's fine. But the problem is that so many people that are dealing with this strictly as a heart thing try to present it to you as no, it's a head thing, as, as if it's logical and sen- and it makes sense. And it's like yeah. no, not really. I mean, it makes sense to say Michael Jordan is the greatest player ever, but in the way that a lot of people make these arguments, they're they're, they're just illogical and stupid. Like, and you see that in that poll, you know, oh, Michael Jordan is a better passer than LeBron. I'm like, no, he's not. Right? <laughs> like, like, like there's, yeah. there's no way that that you can say that and it makes sense. Michael Jordan's a better rebounder than LeBron. No, he's not. And then I'll say, well, you know, Michael just want to get that rebound more. So if it came down to getting one rebound, I would, I would pick Mike. Okay, fine. Maybe you would pick Mike. But that's still a bad take. <laughs> like, yeah. it still does not make any actual logical sense, right? And so that's what we're seeing. That's what we've been seeing. So even when I say things, when I've said things, you know, on social media, like, look, I think Jordan is the greatest player ever, but he's not far and away the greatest player as you, you guys try to make it. Or even when I push back and there's like, oh, Jordan can average 40 a game, 50 a game in today's game. I said, no, he couldn't. Like, we, we love Mike. Like, it's no diss to Mike and everything, but it's a different – we're in a different era. Like, I saw Jay Billis make the point um, – one, he said, you know, basketball is kind of the only sport we do this in where we pretend that players from 30 years ago were better than everybody today, right? Nobody yeah. says that about football. Nobody, you know, <laughs> nobody says that about baseball, none of that. Um, but he also made, made the point, we said, and if that's the case, and that means the players from the 50s and 60s could de- would definitely be better than the players in the, in the 90s. But nobody says, well, Bill Russell, who won 11 titles, is the GOAT, and if you put him in the 90s of Jordan's era, he would still be the, the greatest and he'd be that. Nobody makes that argument. 
They only mm-hmm. make it when it comes to Jordan, and they only make it to disparage today's players. And if we're being honest specifically, it's people that are making like anti-LeBron arguments. And yeah. I think that's that's the genesis of a lot of this stuff is people are so invested in – I guess everybody believing that Jordan is the best, that they just try to denigrate LeBron James at every turn. (laughs) And and then they just turn into kind of miserable old haters for no real reason. I was like, man, just enjoy watching sports, right? (laughs) That's true. That's true. I mean, but in this poll, like they even had who had a better or a more uh, social impact, right? Or bettered the world. I forget how they phrased the category. And of course they had MJ and we already talked about that. He basically went the opposite of social impact. Yeah, MJ was an ultimate capitalist. Like, that's what he did. Now, granted, if you're talking about just impact on culture, yeah, I mean, Jordan had big impact. But that's true. that wasn't even Mike. That was Nike and Gatorade and using Mike as a proxy. You know what I mean? Like, Michael Jordan himself was kind of a blank slate. Like, his job was to win basketball games, and everybody else's job was to then – profit and market off of him winning basketball games and that's what happened Mike was a Blake slate like people like there aren't a whole lot of quotes or anything or or examples of Michael Jordan doing anything off the court that is particularly memorable other than the stories of him being a competitive maniac right (laughs) like so yeah just the whole thing and that that's that again plays into the myth of Michael Jordan he's such a marketed figure that people can't separate the the myth and the marketed person from the basketball player. Um, right. So well, that, that's an interesting thought too, just the, how much, and we talked a little bit about it, but how much branding affects the way we see the world in general, right? Mm-hmm. Marketing and branding affects how we think the world is. Um, you know, it's the same thing like, uh, you know why you buy your girl a diamond ring when you're about to get married? Like, why is that diamond worth so much? It was a marketing campaign back, I forget the years, 20s or 30s in New York. And now everybody got to buy their girl a diamond ring, even though it's a worthless rock. Right. Right. So the whole world shifts based off a good marketing campaign, including who the goat is, which is still LeBron. (laughs) (laughs) No, but let me, this is a 10 assists a game for LeBron, 10.6 for career and 5.3 for Michael. So a little higher than I said. 10.6 assists per game? That's his career average for LeBron. Really? It, it says his career average is 25.7 points a game, 7.9 rebounds a game, 10.6 assists per game. And it says oh. Michael's average that's career that's average points is 30.1 a game, rebounds 6.2. That that just seemed high. I did not realize. Uh, yeah, anyways, um, either that's way. That's NBA.com stats. So. Hey, look, hey, we'll, we'll take it. But either way, yeah, it, there are things that LeBron does better than Mike, and people just can't seem yeah. to admit it. But, you know, one element we kind of touched on a little bit, but what was interesting to me about this whole thing um, was just that, that element of, you know, what is a trustworthy source and – how do we engage in material based on the source? Because again, mm. you know, this was initially presented as, oh, this is unvarnished truth look at, at Michael Jordan and the Bulls and all of that. But once I found out that that's not what it was and that Michael Jordan's like best fr- close friends were the executive producers and, you know, he kind of had final on some level say over what was in the documentary and not, you realize, okay, this is not like some sort of journalistic um, deep dive. And it is, you know, kind of a self-produced documentary on some level, not fully, but on some level. And so then for me, my, my, the way I looked at it shifted, right? We're saying, okay, this is something that's going to give me a lot of insight into this, something that'll be fun and entertainment and it'll give me insight from Jordan's perspective. Right. Um, and so that's how I viewed it. But I've seen other people kind of make the point, and this is by people in my Facebook and all of this stuff that have literally said, oh, well, this is the truth. You know, we're seeing the truth. And somebody said, somebody said to me, um, as they were talking about Jordan's, you know, methods of leadership and all that, they said, well, you know, you saw everybody in the doc kind of agreed with him on his leadership style, or like nobody was really, really had a problem. With it. I said, yeah, because they didn't interview the people that really did have a problem with it, right? Like, yeah. Michael Jordan is famously known for riding his teammates so hard that he has theoretically supposedly made a number of people, kind of essentially ran a number of people out of town, right? Um, 
we, we all know the the not incident, but the situation famously with Kwame Brown, how he basically broke that guy's career. He was the number one pick, and Jordan rode him so hard, even when he was uh, in Washington, he was 40 years old, that it kind of broke Kwame Brown. But he wasn't even interviewed for the doc, and neither were the teammates that couldn't stand him. Like, we, you had the Scotty Pippins and Horace Grants of the world, uh, the people that kind of, you know, kind of rode with Mike. And then even, like, a guy like Scott Burrell, who everybody's like, yeah, he's basically the nicest guy ever. And him and Mike were kind of – eventually became kind of friends. Where are all the other teammates that are like, yo, this dude was a jerk. And don't tell me that they didn't exist. Because <laughs> yeah. we know they did. Because even the teammates that said positive things about him that they did interview – it wasn't warm fuzzies, right? Mm-hmm. B.J. Armstrong said, yeah, he, well, he couldn't have been a nice guy. Scotty, nobody said, yeah, Mike, I love Mike. You know, he's a great guy. Nobody said that. They were like, yeah, Mike pushed us, and he had a competitive fire. He wanted to win, and we won, and it was hard. But we won, and I'm glad we won. We won. But they all kind of looked like they got PTSD a little bit. <laughs> right? <laughs> but, and there was no real dive into that. Yeah, and that's why I think it's weird about it, too, is it's almost like, the documentary painted it in a way that this is a hundred percent a good attribute that Michael had. He's the greatest because of this drive to push everybody. Like maybe on some level, on a sports level, that's a great thing, but Mm -hmm. like that can't be a perfectly good quality of a person, which I feel like they skimmed over. Right. Which is what you did. Yeah, and just because he got emotional about his his will to win doesn't mean that he did things the right way. Like, and again, that's the whole thing about the doc is they didn't really present in the the other side of things, right? It is not it's not like it was that hard to find. And so my critique of it was they gave lip service to the criticisms of Michael Jordan just enough so that he could refute them, and then they never gave any pushback. So he was a lot. They said, "Hey, this is the critique." What do you have to say? He said his piece, and then we left it alone, <laughs> right? Even if it didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. It's like, you know, hey, Mike, did you really need to berate Scott Burrell every day? You know, is that really what brought you a championship? The fact that you berated Scott Burrell daily. The fact that, you know, you were fighting teammates and you created an, an atmosphere and environment that was uncomfortable and people really seemed to, like, B.J. Armstrong said, hey, it was hard unless you absolutely love basketball to be in that environment. And even then it was hard, right? <laughs> and so this is a valid question. And I think what happens is Michael Jordan gets a pass because he won, but not just because he won. He gets a pass because a lot of people were rooting for him to win. And again, it's sports and it's entertainment. So a lot of people were provided a lot of joy from the times when he won, right? So we all know what happens, right? With your team, anything like anything goes. Like you kind of forgive and forget. If a dude is a jerk, whatever, it doesn't matter as long as your team wins. And at that time, Michael Jordan was kind of everybody's guy. The Bulls were essentially America's team, right? Mm-hmm. And so because they won, it provided all these people with these warm fuzzies. And because you got these warm fuzzies, you give him a pass on all the crap he was doing because you benefited from it by yeah. the warm fuzzies that came on with it. But we know for sure that there's better ways. We know that, you know, that you don't have to be that way. It, it, maybe that's just who Mike was, right? But you don't have to be a jerk and all that stuff. And you see people like, well, you know, today's generation doesn't understand what it means to rise some, you know, what it means to have tough love. It wasn't tough love because Michael didn't love him, folks. We know, like, what are we talking about? Mike didn't right. love his teammates. It's very clear. Not, not a not a one of them are like, yeah, me and Mike are tight at this. Like, nobody's like, yeah, we're friends with Mike. His best friends were security guards, right? That's something. Yeah. And this is not, I'm not trying to assassinate his, his character. I'm just simply saying, you know, the, the things that were inter- supposedly interesting about the doc, the things that, you know, we all know Michael Jordan won a lot, right? But exploring all of those other things just didn't really happen because this was coming from the source of Michael Jordan. Um, yeah. So, it, you know, it was almost to be expected. That's the same reason I love Baron because if he didn't come back and give Cleveland a championship, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. <laughs> hey, yeah, look, it's it's all about the warm fuzzies are enough us. to forgive him for all of his wrongdoings. Of course, it's all about it's all about what he does for you, you know. And and yeah. I understand. And and there are people that have determined I don't like LeBron, and so they don't really care anything that he does. Like actually, uh, it popped in my mind the other day that everybody loves Allen Iverson, right? What well, what's the most famous moment for AI's career? 
don't know, step, stepping over Tyronn Lue. <laughs> Stepping over Tyronn Lue, what's the context behind that? That was the only time Allen Iverson got to the finals. Mm -hmm. He dragged kind of a bad Philly team there. That was in game one, which he won in overtime, and they lost the next four games. That was the finals. Allen Iverson lost 4-1. But but we play that that clip. It is played with fondness. And look at AI. He's such a killer. And everybody loves AI, right? Because AI is no threat to, to the GOAT. But LeBron James, at 22 years old, years of age, dragged Cleveland to the finals with a terrible team. He did it with an iconic performance against uh, Detroit when he scored like 29 straight points, all right? Mm -hmm. And basically, he just gets crapped on by Jordan and Kobe fans (laughs) for the fact that he lost those finals, right? AI gets gets lauded, you know, as a career achievement when he loses 4-1 in the finals, and LeBron does something amazing and great and grabs a team that has no business doing it, and they just say, yeah, well, you lost in the finals, so you're not MJ. Then that's that's kind of how things go now. People can't just appreciate – if you're too good, we can't just appreciate you. You know, like Dame Lillard gets gets lauded for hitting these game winners in the playoffs, and we play the clips, and we're like, Dame Dalla, Dame that he's so cold, Dame da 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 Even though he lost in the next round, whatever, it was still cold. But once you get to a certain level, like the LeBron mm-hmm. level, now mm-hmm. it's no longer good enough to hit game-winning shots in the playoffs and the drag teams that don't belong to the finals up there. You have to win. Otherwise, all people want to say is, well, you're not Jordan. And it's like, why does it have to be all or nothing? That's, this is what I never get. Why can't you just appreciate – why can't you just say, hey, you're really great and it's awesome and it's fun watching great players. Jordan's still my favorite, but you're awesome. Like, we don't do that anywhere else. That's it's true. Only- and that's why I'm like, some of these people are just kind of miserable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, you're holding on the mic so bad that you can't even enjoy other guys being great because um, you're a hater. But anyways, that's not even what we're supposed to talk about. I'm sorry. I'm going off on tangents. My bad. Still here. But, yeah, the point is that this is a, a, a nice piece of sympathetic journalism that only tells one side of the story. Good documentary, nonetheless. But you got to know what's coming in. Um, you do. Yeah, and I guess we could go on a whole tangent on how journalism and quality sources work. I don't know. I don't know if you have any other deep thoughts on how the world works, but it is true. Like marketing, you know, the way stories are told. I guess that's one thing to always know. Everything you go into, documentary, news, just every conversation, there's always context. Um, Mm -hmm. There's always a narrative being told, and it doesn't mean it has to be done maliciously, right? I think that's the problem when we talk about you know, yeah. the whole fake news thing that started is like, everything's malicious. Like, just know that everything is fed through somebody's experiences and context, mm-hmm. which means there's always another side of the story, right? There's always a balance to the game. Right. You know, when I was coming up, my dad used to say, you know, if you want to know the truth about something, read three different sources. And whatever's, whatever is consistent throughout those three, you can take it as usually being true. Um right. And now, obviously, um, we're not going to get too much into how things are today with the different news sources and channels. And some are very conservative, some are very liberal. And, you know, they're all presenting their own tilt and bit on or bend on things. And, you know, they'll bring in the token person from the other point of view to <laughs> to beat up on. And, you know, uh, and, and those are the obvious things that kind of we all know about. But even just in general, you know, um, these newspapers that are still, you know, having online presences, a lot of them are, it, it's not too hard to figure out which which side of the aisle they fall on either. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, I was one where back in, that, back in the day I would watch a documentary and think I was extra smart because I watched the documentary and not really realized that, you know, the Michael Moores of the world <laughs> were, were really only presenting one side of the argument. And not even that they were incorrect. It was just okay, there's these other, there's these refutations to these things that you're putting out there that, you know, if you want people to get the truth of the matter, mm-hmm. to be able to form their own opinion, you have to put both sides out there. You have to say, okay, this is what I think and this is what they're saying. Right. But it's almost impossible to do that without bias too. So just, you got to have to look at both sides of the issue. If you watch one documentary, a documentary on, on an issue from one side, maybe try to watch one from the other side and, kind of see where you fall yeah yeah. well and i think that's that's the hard balance for people particularly christians right in our case to to be people of truth is that you have to recognize that everything's filtered through context experience um maybe Mm -hmm. false motives but it could just be context and experience 
right? That gives you one side of the story, but that doesn't mean that there isn't truth out there. That's right. the postmodern pessimism that everything is whatever you make it up to be is your truth, but that we have to actually do hard work to find that. Because Mugs out here changing their whole life off one Netflix documentary and they don't even know who <laughs> made it. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, especially uh, when you see stuff about like health and diet. Oh, those are the, yeah, because they're the easy, I guess those are the easiest to quickly change in your life, right? Right. And people, you see those where they'll present information and it just looks so irrefutable. And, you know, you say, cool, I'm only eating legumes and fish from now on because that's what, (laughs) that's what makes sense. And it's, you know, and then you'll see, you know, those are easy to see some different things. And you realize that even though there is truth out here, a lot of times people are just kind of grasping to pieces of truth. And like Mm -hmm. you said, changing their whole lifestyle and forming entire uh, schools of thought around those little pieces of truth. And, you know, we have to be a little bit more prudent than that. Right. So that and seeking truth and being willing to admit when you're wrong. You know, I see that particularly with theology as the field I'm in is everybody, we're great at making straw men of other people's things without actually allowing the other side to give a fair argument. Um, and the same thing when you're finding truth, you got to let both sides give fair arguments. Yeah. But yeah, no, I agree. But hold on. Speaking of truth, of the truth, there's there's one more note here in our show notes. And I gotta uh, ask you, I gotta ask you, Will, and I know we're doubling back a little bit. The note just simply says Paul Pierce. With dots after it, because that's what I think about this man. I, I know I know where you're going with this, but I feel like you got a tangent in you. So I, I wanna ask you, Will. Why does this say Paul Pierce, dot, 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 ellipses, ellipses, ellipses? <laughs> well, I don't know if I have too much to say other than, like, why we listen to Paul Pierce's opinion ever. I don't know. That's a very good question. But he said, in regards to this LeBron versus Jordan, he said LeBron wasn't a top five player, uh, which is fairly egregious in my mind. But Paul Pierce be annoying. That's all, man. He'd just be saying stuff to say stuff. And he thinks he's the best and didn't create the first super team really out of his own doing of bringing KG and Ray Allen to Boston. So, I don't know. He is. See, here's how I want to flip this, though, right? So, all yeah, right. I mean, I think it's ridiculous, but I don't, I don't agree with that opinion at all. Kama, however, you, you touched on something that I see in internet culture, and I don't think you necessarily meant it this way. Mm-hmm. But I saw Paul Pierce, when Paul Pierce made those comments, a lot of the responses were, well, Paul Pierce wasn't as good as blah, 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 so he need to shut up. Or Paul Pierce – you know, you should lose to LeBron, so he need to shut up. with Paul Pierce isn't even that, LeBron that, that, uh, <laughs> right. But the point is, it's odd that all of us random internet people try to discredit other people by saying what they have and haven't done. Right? That's true. It's it's ridiculous because by your by these people's own logic, their opinion doesn't matter. The only opinion, so apparently, <laughs> the only opinion that matters when it comes to let's say basketball is the opinion of whoever you consider the best player ever. Because otherwise, you're just going to say, well, Patrick Ewan wasn't as good as Michael Jordan, so who cares what he thinks? Or, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wasn't as good as Michael Jordan, so who cares what he thinks? And so that that logic has always tripped me out because you're basically saying you have to be the best at this thing that isn't even about opinion to be able to give your opinion about said thing. And it's absolutely stupid, right? (laughs) You talk about strawman. Like, those are strawman. So, uh, you know, Obviously, yeah. Paul Pierce is somebody that played basketball for years, and you know that, that's what his life. He played in the NBA. He obviously has a lot of knowledge and information about basketball. However, it's obviously also a, a subjective thing to say who's the best, right? You know, um, I'm sure there's numbers that you put out there. Like, if you want to say who's the best surgeon in the world, I'm sure there's some way that you can pull up some numbers and s- surgery stats try or whatever. And measure that. Yeah. yeah, try to figure it out, but it's still probably going to be subjective. You know, and so all of this stuff. Is subjective, but I, I just find it funny when when we try to discredit other people based on their accomplishments, as if you have to have a certain number of accomplishments for your logic to make sense. Yeah. See, so all that tells me, and what most of this tells me, is that the world just needs a, a course in logic. That's a good place to start of how actual arguments work. I know there's a crash course probably on YouTube or something. Well, see, you don't need to go do that. There is, but most people don't want to be logical. They just want to be right. Yeah, because it, it, if we're all being logical, that means when two people have a debate about something, then somebody at the end of the day, have to admit it. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, some you know they should both come to the same conclusion. 
Because yeah. if we're just if it's just about logic, but that never happens. Most of the time, people debate, and nothing ever happens. And people don't want to be, they don't want to learn truth. They just want to be right. So. Which, yeah, I mean, I guess it's two things: knowing what opinion is, and then trying to find what actual truth is. There's a lot to it, but mm. this is what it is, man. That'll preach for another day. But uh, we got more Patreon conversation to have, so. If y'all are Patreon supporters, patreon.com forward slash kingdom dreamers. You get all the benefits, exclusive Wild Wild World stuff, yeah. merch, book club. There's all sorts of cool stuff there. So check it out. Support the movement. Hit the store. Get the caps. Got some t-shirts up there. Hoodies, Hoodies coming soon. Coming Stun. soon. They're fire. They're already made, but we'll be ready for the fall for y'all. Uh, but yeah, patreon.com. Check it out. Kelly and I are going to chop it up a little more on there. We appreciate y'all support. This is, I don't know what episode this is, six of season three? Something like that. But we'll see you all next time. It's Wild Wild World, KingdomDreamer.com. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Wild Wild World Show. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Follow us on Twitter at KingdomXDreams and learn more at KingdomDreamer.com. We are proud to partner with Fiverr, the online marketplace for freelance services to get stuff done. If you have any business or creative needs, you need to check out Fiverr, whether that's a logo design, website optimization, social media boost, video production, you can find it all on Fiverr. We as the Kingdom Dreamers have used them for many of their services and plan to continue. Check them out at the link in our show notes.